In terms of financial services and fintech in particular, you could say that Scandinavia is the place where dreams are made. Dreams is a next generation engagement banking technology and it marries neuroscience with studying what motivates people to reach further and then giving them the technology to graft onto the banking services they use and make dreams come true. To talk about how it works, what's involved, and how she sees this as a powerful revolution in fintech, we have Dr. Stina Soderquist coming in from Stockholm on this episode of Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dumb demystify show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dar Mystery. Demystify. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. And this week, we have a really special guest, Dr. Stina Sadaquist who is a doctor in neurocognitive science. Is that right, Dr. Stina? Yeah, in cognitive neuroscience. Sorry. Exactly. I <laughs> what does that mean about me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm really excited to speak to you because I read an article which I totally, you know, get about banking and engagement. And that was a thing that really captured my attention. And We'd really like to discuss today and help our listeners to understand, you know, why it's important. What is this cognitive science? How can they use it? What should banks be doing in this space? Right. But also, I'd like to understand a bit about, in your experience, how many banks are actually using your kind of skill sets. Mm. Dave, as a psychologist, has got like loads of questions. Absolutely. Stina, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us a bit about what you do that would be a fantastic starting point yeah absolutely thanks for inviting me i'm excited to be on your podcast like i mentioned i have phd in cognitive neuroscience and before that i also studied psychology so with this foundation in behavioral science my job is now to kind of use this knowledge and insights that we have from behavioral science to apply that in the field of finance to help people and customers build financial well-being and become more engaged in their finances. Because we know your financial situation is so much linked to the behaviors you do, the action, the decisions you take every day and the habits you build. And that's where behavioral science can really play a significant role. So on a daily basis, I work as a science manager for Dreams. So Dreams is a B2B service, we're offering an engagement platform that then helps banks leverage on our behavioral science expertise. Basically, banks can use their existing financial products and um, offer their customers an experience that is framed on the behavioral science to build financial well-being and a deeper engagement. We have products that include savings and the repayments and investment experiences. 
Fantastic. And what made you take your skill set towards financial services? I think I was attracted to the insight of first the huge impact people's finances have on their lives and their well-being. There's a huge association between financial well-being and mental and even physical well-being. That coupled with the insight at how even like smaller changes can have such a huge impact. So it's really something that if we are able to influence people in how they make decisions in their finances and do that in a very inclusive way. So speaking to everyone so that really everyone understands and maybe people who didn't before identify as someone who is very engaged in their finances. If we can talk to them and get them to just make small changes in their daily lives, it can have huge impact on their financial futures. And also it's a business where there are a lot of low hanging fruits. So that's always a nice place to be. (laughs) I'm really fascinated because I do have a degree in psychology and I guess my career has gone down the path much more of kind of user experience Mm. and, you know, I guess applying some of the psychology practice to making experiences as easy and dare I say, slippy as possible. So, you know, the point of much of the work I've done is how do you get people in and out of a banking experience as fast as possible? Mm. But I guess one of the things I've realized over time is that actually that may not be the right thing to be doing because it helped people to become very automatic in terms of how they do finance. So they don't really think about it. And I'm really interested in some of the things that you're doing to sort of, I don't know, slow people down or get their attention, because I guess that's the first step, isn't it? You know, making people aware that there may be issues. What are some of the things you're doing around that? It's a really excellent point. And first, I go back to what you were saying, that I think this is the focus for a lot of banks now, like the first level of engagement. We decided to divide engagement into two different levels because it makes it easier to talk about. So the first level is, like you said, to get them into your product, it should be a nice experience, they should understand what is happening, and it should be smooth, and they should want to be on your platform. But then the next level, which is often, I don't know if I should say ignored, I think people are not even aware of it, banks in general, is the second level is a like deeper engagement that is really more about motivation, to try to get people engaged and motivated for their finances in a way that they will bring that engagement with them even outside of the product into their daily lives so that it will actually influence how they make decisions regarding their finances, how they behave, what habits they build. And that can really have a significant impact for many different reasons. First, financially, if you change your consumption and consumer habits, but also on a mental level that it increases self-efficacy, for example, something that we know is crucial for the decisions that you make. So you need to believe in your own ability to actually change your situation for that to happen. I can see the benefits for the end customer, right? That this isn't, you know, like in pretty much any kind of business, there tends to be a product to be sold. And then after it's been sold and, you know, the job's been done, we can walk away and carry on making more money elsewhere with other customers, right? Mm. But now engagement is becoming more important. I can see the benefits for the end customer, especially in financial services with, you know, regularly telling them better ways to manage their money. But what does it mean for the bank though? You know, what are the benefits if they're not going to sell potentially more product? 
Mm, I think that they will sell more products if they I... do this. And there's quite some good evidence to support that. For example, Gallup has done surveys looking at customer engagement. They define customer engagement as the emotional connection between your customers and your company. And what they found and report on is that engaged customers then bring 37% more annual revenue wow. compared to disengaged customers. And, you know, building on this emotional connection is really a matter of trust. A matter of do your customers trust your you as a bank or will they go with first best alternative in the form of a new fintech or some other challenger and the trust is super low and this is a real problem for banks there was another report by gallup that 32 of americans feel confident in their banks 32 that's a really low number so it really makes sense from a pure business perspective and we see that just from our data and from other people's data I mean, it's really great to kind of hear this sort of empirical evidence that this is, you know, driving good things and also, you know, commercial opportunities for banks themselves. But I think there is a real logic that if you don't think about something, then you're not going to educate yourself about it, understand it. Mm. You know, you're not going to have control over it. So the more you kind of think about these things the better it is. Going back to my previous question, this is a real challenge for banks because they've trained their customers to be transactional with them by pushing people into digital channels and making those very functional and they lack any enrichment in terms of added value content. So how do you stop people and put your hand up and wave at them and say, here's a beginning of a journey to get you into that control. So what are some of the things you do around that? Well, the core of what we do and also why we're called dreams is that we switch the narrative. So we don't really talk that much about money. That motivation is there for people. They know that they should save money. They know that they should care about their money, but it's an extrinsic motivation. They know that they should do it because someone has told them to do it. And that kind of motivation typically is very poor at getting people to reach their goals. So what we want to do instead is to induce an intrinsic motivation for customers and their money so that money becomes something that they truly care about. And how do you do that? Well, you talk about not about money because that's not something that people care about on a deep level. What people care about is what money can give them. So whether it's security, it can be like a buffer account because that provides you security. But it can also be like to really explore your dreams. That's why we call dreams. What do you dream about doing? What can saving money actually give to your life? What kind of value does it contribute? So that's the core of like working with the motivation and understanding that motivation is not binary. We need to focus on the right kind of motivation and to connect emotions to your finances. And that includes both understanding how Money is very emotional for most people in a negative sense because it's the number one cause of worry for young people is their finances. And when people are worried and stressed, they're not going to listen to your messages. They're not going to be able to take action. But if you, instead of like focusing on what they're doing wrong, we focus on showing them, so increasing their ability and showing them how they can reach what they dream about in their lives. So motivation and emotions is like at the foundation. And those are two 
big complex topics on their own. So there's a lot to do there. With, <laughs> when... I do like this. You know, you've said it a couple of times now. There's a journey towards them taking action. Whereas, you know, in the past, it's really been like, if I tell you enough about our wonderful credit card, at some point you might take one. Right. Mm. And it's been very, as Dave said, transactional. You know, it's been very sales orientated. But if you kind of help them with their dreams, I can understand that actually at the end of it, might say, well, the vehicle is this credit card or is this loan or is this product? Right. Yeah. But it's that journey beforehand. I like that concept that it's not a transaction or a sales prompt, but a complete set of actions that led you to the point that allows them to kind of see the logic of why you're taking them to the product, right? Mm. Yes, it will take longer potentially, but I think it's a sounder route because you keep the customer. And as you say, you know, if you're helping them with their dreams, then actually they're more vested in you because you're bought into their dreams, not just to sell them a product. And I don't know if it necessarily has to take longer. It's just a different way of approaching it. And it's a different way of communicating with your customers. From the sounds of it, you're trying to move the money conversation from a head conversation to a heart conversation. So people, as you say, have an emotional connection. I think what's interesting about that whole kind of dream space is what you dream about may be very different from what I dream about. How do you kind of capture the differences between people in terms of their motivations, the things that would make them feel more complete around a kind of money journey and that's an excellent excellent point as well that money is personal and we have to allow it to be personal so we don't want to tell people what they should be saving for and we also don't want to tell people what they should or should not spend their money on but what we want to do is help people reflect on what is important for them so what we do we have customers set up their dreams identifying we have some inspiration that you can look at if you completely feel <laughs> a loss of inspiration but most of our customers create their own dreams so you go in you visualize it with an image that helps you feel more motivated and you get like an emotional connection you create your dream i want to go on a road trip with my friends in two years time, I want to have this much money by then. And we help break that down. Okay, then you need to save this much money per week. Here are some suggestions on how you can do that. And it can be automatic savings, or it can be inspirations for how you can find money in your daily life, like skipping the takeout coffee or other inspirations. But what's important is that we don't tell them what they should save for, and we don't tell them what they should spend or not spend their money on. It has to come from them. I guess one of the things about having dreams is, you know, we can all get very excited about things initially, but then after a while, find ourselves forgetting about that dream. And then I'm constantly changing my mind about things. So how do you keep people honest to that dream path as well? Because I think that's a critical thing that is often missed is one day you might have something which you get excited about. And then you've got to stay motivated around that. So how do you keep people motivated? We do a lot of different explorations. We collaborate with academic researchers. We have a close collaboration with Hal Hirschfield, for example, who's a professor at UCLA. And his whole research field is within empathy for your future self. Like how do you 
feel emotionally connected to your future self and how do you keep that connection strong? Wow. Because if you have that connection, then you're also going to care more about that person, that person being your future self, and you're going to behave in a way that benefits your future self. So there are many ways in which we work with this and we constantly explore different ideas that Hal has from his research and we try that out in our product. It can be messaging where we try different framings of the messages that we send out. So really the wordings of the message is quite a detailed level. And that's one of the aspects that makes this so much fun and also quite tricky and takes a lot of knowledge and time and effort to explore and work with behavioral science is that it's like these really small details can make a huge difference. But I would say that this challenge of keeping the motivation going and helping people not to forget about their dreams is something that we're exploring a lot with messaging and how we design the product. I absolutely love that empathy with your future self. I mean, we often hear people talking about what advice would you give your 16 year old self kind of looking back but you never hear anyone saying what advice would you give your 70 year self i think that's amazing i'm going to have a look at hal and his research i can recommend it it's very fascinating you know dom and i've been talking to people who are providing carbon data into sort of using carbon transactional data to kind of help people come up with carbon footprints i think one of the big challenges around that is how you keep people motivated. So I think that whole field is completely fascinating. Question for me is you say you're, as well as B2C, you have a B2B offering. So if I'm a bank, where would I put dreams? Would it be outside of the bank or inside of the bank? How are you kind of working with third parties? My suggestion would be and what I think would be the most effective is if it's actually inside the bank app in an integrated part and how their customers can save and manage their money so usually we are yeah an integrated part of the bank app or the bank website would you be part of their saving I mean how does it show up so I log into my bank do I see as part of savings dreams basic question where does it sit in the navigation We have a saving and an investment and debt consolidation products. Where it would sit depends on what product is being used or if it's all of them or just one or two of them. But for saving, it would sit within the saving offer within the bank to kind of bring a new perspective and increase the motivation to start saving in the first place or increase saving for that matter for existing customers. All of this makes absolute sense to me, right? But I don't see many banks doing it. In your experience, how receptive are banks to this idea and actually following through on it? How many banks have already done it? Which ones shine in this space? I would say from the discussions that we are having with banks, we can definitely tell an increased interest and awareness of these topics. And banks recognize that this is something that they need to work with if they want to stay relevant. In particular, I think there's interest for financial well-being. Banks want to take more responsibility and it goes in line with you know a sustainable way of thinking about finances as well and what kind of impact it has on both people's lives and the environment if you want to work with financial well-being you need to understand what determines it that's where behavioral science comes in and what we hear from banks are some banks have also tried it 
some have failed, some have been semi-successful, but maybe under-delivered a little bit. And really it's due to its complexity or that they tend to focus on it as like one project or one feature where, okay, I want to get this nudge in our app and that's going to change everything. Whereas, in fact, it's a bit more complicated and you need to look at the whole picture. One example that I can take is like when you're speaking of personalization, and that could be really useful, but for some cases, the focus has become more on like looking at current and past behavior and trying to adapt the product and the communication based on that, when in fact, that's the behavior that we want to change. So it's really tempting to think that if we just show the customer what they have been spending their money on, they will automatically be motivated to change their spending pattern. And this can be a useful wake-up call, but it also risks having the opposite effect because it can be very simply perceived as a negative feedback, which will then instead increase the level of stress a person feels for their finances. And that, as we've been talking about, is likely to put that customer in a more passive state and start procrastinating instead. Our learnings from working with this uh, during eight years, it has taken us to develop our product to the state it is now. And that includes working with some world-leading scientific experts on this. And our take-home is that you need to integrate behavioral science into the foundation of the product development. It can't just be put as one feature or something on top. And it needs to really be approached from a more like holistic perspective so that you see the whole picture and you understand how different aspects tie together and how they also can work against each other if it's not done correctly. I looked at this some time ago and, you know, my own view was that this should be a strategic element to the entire bank because Problem is that if you look at this in a product silo or a process silo, you end up with something that potentially contradicts another part of the organization. And that other part of the organization could be, you know, fraud and risk or, you know, another process, right? Or it could be another product, right? And my example on this is a real case, right? I went on holiday and then I went straight onto a business trip and I was away from home for about five weeks. And when I came back, I had two letters from my credit card company. One was because I hadn't paid my bill on time. It was like quite threatening about, we will take this to court if you don't pay your bill. Literally on my first not payment, right? Ignoring all the fact that I'd been a loyal customer for five years, right? And then the second thing was I got another letter from the same bank, right? But different part of the organization saying, we noticed that you have increased spending over the last few weeks, we've increased your limit by 2,000 pounds. <laughs> Two totally different you know, messages to me. One thinking I'm going to be running off with their money and the other one thinking, oh, great, this, this guy's going to spend even more money, yeah. right? And that's the danger of the silos. And that's within one product cycle, right? Yeah. If you've got somebody from you know, the loans trying to promote something over somebody from the credit card, You can't really take a customer perspective on this. You've got to look across processes and products. You know, would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. For me, it's strategic, right? This is fabric of the new bank. A key layer of that is engagement. Absolutely. I totally agree. And your experience is likely not going to make you feel like you want to become a more loyal customer and, (laughs) you know, use whatever other products they might offer you. I think it's key. Yeah, I mean, my experience was, I literally said, right, thank you very much. I paid your bill and I've set up a new credit card. Thank you very much. Exactly. For your support in the last few years. Bye-bye. You know? Yeah. 
I think it is a very strategic thing. I mean, going back to this point of, I think a lot of what is happening is banks will kind of put in point solutions, but not be prepared to put their kind of effort into saying, well, how do you then create a program around that which lasts a longer period of time? And I think, you know, all of this goes back to the problem that the banks have got, which is they've trained their customers to be transactional. And actually what they need is a proper relationship with their customers. That has to be at an emotional level. So it sort of feels like, Stina, you've kind of built a bridge to that emotional connection, which I think can only be a good thing for banks to kind of think about. Anyway, listen, we're sort of out of time, I'm afraid, but it's been a really interesting chat. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, really insightful. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you. And I would urge all of our listeners, you know, if you are in the area of engagement, you know, it's contact Dr. Steen and, and, you know, have a chat through this stuff because clearly she knows her stuff and clearly this is a very important topic. So, yeah, I'd like to extend my thanks as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.